And thank you for joining this week's podcast with the Archbishop Nicholas Duncan Williams. This week, the Archbishop expands on the significance of the number 12 and God's plan for deliverance and release from every stronghold or setback in your life. If you need to reshape and reignite your prayer life, buy your copy of the Archbishop's book, Prayer Moves God. Secure yours now at ndwministries.org. Know today that this is God's word of liberation. Be revived in your spirit as you listen. Uh, There is something about the number 12. There are 12 gates in heaven. The 12th tribe of Israel. Uh, 12 months in the year, 12 disciples, and also the fact that the number 12 is mentioned in the Bible 187 times. So there's something about 12, there's a mystery about the number 12 that must be demystified. Somebody say, I hear you. But we're going to look at Mark chapter 5, reading from verse 21 to 41. As we approach the subject of the number 1212, 12, something was happening to a young girl uh, that was 12 years old, and that was a young generation and an old generation uh, since the young girl was born that was bleeding or hemorrhaging for 12 years. So since she was born from the age 1 to 12 years, this woman who is old generation, was bleeding. And uh, she bled for 12 months and she died at the age of 12. Uh, Mark chapter 5, from verse 21 to 41. And when Jesus was passed over again by ship unto the other side, much people gathered unto him, and it was nigh unto the sea. And behold, there cometh one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name. And when he saw him, he fell at his feet and besought him greatly, saying, My little daughter lieth at the point of death. I pray thee, come and lay thy hands on her, that she may be healed, and she shall live. And Jesus went with him, and much people followed and thronged him. And a certain woman, which had an issue of blood twelve years, and had suffered many things of many physicians, and had spent all that she had, and was nothing bettered, but rather grew worse. When she had heard of Jesus, came in the press behind and touched his garment. For she said, If I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. And straightway the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of that plague. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that virtue had gone out of him, turned him about in the press and said, Who touched my clothes? And his disciples said unto him, Thou seest the multitude thronging thee, and seest thou who touched me? And he looked round about to see her that had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what was done in her, came and fell down before him and told him all the truth. And underline the word, told him all the truth. And it took time when, when a woman decides to talk and to tell you her pain and to share her business uh, with you, uh, it takes a lot. And she told him all the truth. Uh, What that implies is that she took 
time to explain her pain and her affliction for 12 years. And that took a lot of time. At this time, there was a young girl at the age of 12 that was dying. Go ahead. And he said unto her, Daughter, thy faith hath made thee whole. Go in peace and be whole of thy plague. While he yet spake, there came from the ruler of the synagogue's house certain which said, Thy daughter is dead. Why troubleth thou the master any further? By the time she finished talking to Jesus, and Jesus had all her issue for the past 12 years, there was a delay. It held Jesus back from going to the house of the ruler of the synagogue. He could be the chief of staff. He could have been the administrator. He had the responsibility of running the church. The synagogue stands for a church. She had the responsibility of running the church. And it was her daughter that was sick and dying at the age of 12. And then the old generation had been hemorrhaging and bleeding for 12 solid years. And when she got a healing, for whatever reason, she engaged Jesus and kept him engaged and wise she was telling Jesus all her business and engaging Jesus some way somehow it delays Jesus intervention to go heal the 12 years young generation that was dying and by the time she finished talking and Jesus addressed her situation the young generation had died but the old generation was still alive go ahead as soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he saith unto the ruler of the synagogue, Be not afraid, only believe. And he suffered no man to follow him, save Peter and James and John the brother of James. And he cometh to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and seeth the tumult, and them that wept and wailed greatly. And when he was come in, he saith unto them, Why make ye this ado and weep? The damsel is not dead, but sleepeth. And they loved him to scorn. But when he had put them all out, he taketh the father and the mother of the damsel and them that were with him, and entereth in where the damsel was lying. And he took the damsel by the hand and said unto her, Talitha kumi, which is being interpreted, Damsel, I say unto thee, arise. And straightway the damsel arose and walked, for she was of the age of 12 years. And they were astonished with a great astonishment. Amen. So this was a young generation fighting for her life, bleeding and hemorrhaging. And when you talk about bleeding or hemorrhaging, there are different levels and different types and kinds of bleeding and hemorrhaging. Uh, sometimes one deals with mental and emotional bleeding psychological, physical, spiritual and sometimes it could be financial you are bleeding financially you can't hold anything together anything you attempt or try to do doesn't work, it just looks like something just keep on pulling and draining the life out of you and the Bible said that the life is in the blood and so for 12 solid years her life was just wasting away and the Bible said that she has spent all she had on physicians there was nowhere she didn't go there was nowhere she didn't travel to all to get well and spend all that she had worked for and had to get well and to be healed but the bible said she grew worse 
She was dying slowly. The old generation was hemorrhaging and dying. Whilst the young generation at the age of 12 was also dying, ladies and gentlemen. And for some reason, if you look at the scriptures carefully, the law of Moses in those days did not allow the woman to be held by the church. She couldn't come to church, number one. So let's thank God for those of you who can come to church. Thank God that you can come to church. And if you look at what happened during the time of the coronavirus, we couldn't gather, we couldn't come together. The, the amount and the level of loneliness and, and even the stigma that goes with having corona. Uh, you know, I, I had, I tested for over 20 something times, I never had it. And one time we, we went out and during the time of the coronavirus, I, I made a deliberate effort not to go to town and engage too many people. And this particular time, we had some friends that have come from America. So we went out to eat and we're sitting out there in the opening and some of the waiters and people saw me and they told others that, guess who is here? Papa is here. Papa is here. And the next thing I realized, I was surrounded. And some people were on their knees. Papa, bless me. Papa, pray for me. And, and it was amazing. And by the time they, and everybody wanted to take picture, by the time they left me, I knew something had happened. I felt that I was accessed. And I told Rosa, I said, babe, I think I've been accessed. She said, why are you saying that? And I said, I know myself, I know my body, and I'm a spiritual man. I could tell that an arrow has been shot at me. So the next day, I called to do the test. As soon as I did the corona test, I was positive. So I said to her, you see, it's not that I'm trying to be spiritual, but I know who I am, what I carry, and I know the environment I work, I walk in, and uh, it's not about it's not about name or it's not about numbers. It's about what you carry. Uh, I remember when we were in Maryland at this particular prayer summit. Uh, the prayer summit was to begin on Wednesday, and on Tuesday uh, we had a storm, a big storm happened in Maryland uh, and, and in Virginia where I live. So we, we had no light and we have to check into a hotel. The next day we went back home and there was light everywhere uh, in the area where we live except my house. And so we called to find out and there was some issue with the pole and the wire that connects to my house, but everybody else had light. So I said, you know what, let me just get out of here. Let me go to Maryland and check into my hotel. And they have checked my hotel, booked my hotel, everything, and my staff. And when we got to Maryland also, there was a storm there at the same time. And my hotel, the Marriott Greenbelt Hotel, they, they had a storm there. And there was no light and there was no standby generator. So I had to move 40 minutes drive from where the meeting was to another side and another part of Maryland to be able to get a place to stay. Uh, lots of complications with the summit this time around. And I said to some of the pastors, and I said, God is up to something and something good is going to happen. And they didn't understand why I was saying that. And I was saying that because whenever you see the enemy busy, 
and nervous and, and, and very agitated and very irritated and worried and disturbed about your presence is an indication that you are carrying something. Come on, somebody. Put your hands together. Somebody put your hands together. Say yes. You know, truly speaking, I have problem with men of God and Christians who never have any problem. Everything is cool. Everything is beautiful. Everything is always nice. Brother, sister, you are not anointed. You are not carrying anything. I'm telling you. Because if you are a threat to the enemy, he will double down on your business. He will double down on everything. Your children, your husband, your wife, your family, finances, health, anything that concerns you. He will double down on you because you are a threat. Are you hearing me, somebody? Put your hands together. Say yes. And, and I knew that it was going to be good. And it was one of the best. In attendance, in everything, it's one of the best. And I knew it before time because I could tell with the level of demonic uh, onslaught and, and the complications and everything that was falling apart. Everything was falling apart. There were things that weren't making sense. And I just stood and looked at everything and I knew that it was going to get good. It's going to get better because it always gets worse before it gets better. Somebody say, talk to me. So, so here was this woman for 12 years. She had spent everything she had on physicians. She tried everything to get well, but it never got better. It never got better. It got worse. And, and it's like situations of nations, like, like even our country, Ghana, for 65 years, uh, we struggled as a nation, economically, politically, we struggled. I'm told that for every four years, for the past 65 years, we've always gone to that IMF every four years. We've gone to the IMF every four years for 65 years. And it's an indication that for whatever reason, there is an error. We haven't been able to fix it. There's an error that haven't been fixed. And, and, and sometimes it bothers me when I say, let's pray for the, the economy. Let's pray for the city. And I hear people criticizing me and mocking at me. I, I look at them and I don't get where they are coming from. Because if for 65 years, every four years, we have to go to the IMF to bail us out, what else does it take to, for you to understand and to appreciate that there's an error. There's a mystery that hasn't yet been demystified. And that's why we haven't been able to fix it all these years. It's a good place to put your hands together, somebody. She got worse. 12 years. Spent everything she had. Literally was bankrupt. Lost everything. And not just that. But this old generation... If she was married, she couldn't be with her husband because she was classified as unclean by the law of Moses. She couldn't go to the priest for prayer and the priest couldn't go to her to pray for her because if the priest went to pray for her, he would be unclean also. If she had children, she couldn't be with her kids. She, she was ostracized from society. She was all alone by herself had nobody to talk to the young generation at the age of 12 at least had their mother her dad and possibly siblings to talk to she had nobody to engage and to talk to because she was unclean 
She couldn't move in town and in society. She had to hide and go out in the night to see the physician. She had to cover herself and make sure no one sees her because she will be stoned and called unclean, unclean, like a leopard. She was like a leopard, unclean, unclean. And it was the same thing with the coronavirus. If you look at it carefully, anybody that had it, you couldn't engage them. There were people who died in the hospital all alone by themselves. And loved ones could not see them, nor visit with them. And when they died, their bodies were taken care of by the state. They were buried by the state. And their loved ones and family had no access to their bodies and will not allow their loved ones and friends and families to have access to their body. It, it, it was an evil thing that came to town. This thing is evil. And may we be spared. Maybe I pray that this coronavirus and all these new threatenings and things that are coming up every now and then will pass over us in the name of Jesus. I decree a Passover by the blood of the Lamb. Somebody say a Passover, a Passover. Let there be a Passover. Say yes. It was very painful. Uh, great people, men and women, wives and husbands, fathers and mothers, sons and daughters, old generation and new generation died at the hospital because of this virus and nobody could touch them. It was an accursed thing. Nobody could touch their bodies. They died alone, buried all alone. Couldn't say bye-bye to a friend, to a loved one, to family. Nobody were allowed to be with them. And this woman was in a similar situation where she could not engage anybody. They didn't have cell phones in those days. They didn't have internet in those days. They didn't have social media and all the things we have today. FaceTime, name them. They didn't have any in those days. It was a physical contact. And nobody would contact her and she couldn't contact anybody. For 12 years, she was dying. Every day, at she bled. And the life in her was Literally being drained out of her. Day after day, week and month after week, year after year, for 12 years. She battled with her life. She was stinking. She stinked. She didn't smell too good. For bleeding for that number of years, it was painful. It was difficult. She felt the rejection. She felt nobody understands her and what she was dealing with. I have been in situations every now and then confronting challenges that I have to tackle all by myself and all alone. You can be surrounded with friends and families and loved ones and still be alone, married but still alone. Have kids and friends and loved ones, but still alone. Surrounded by multitudes, but still all alone by yourself. And the Bible said that she said to herself, she spoke to herself, if I can but just touch, somebody talk to me, say touch. Come on, give it to me, say touch. 
He said, if I can but what? Touch the hem of his garment because the oil flows from the top down and settle at the hems of the garment. If I can just touch where power belongs, I can be made whole. But realize, ladies and gentlemen, that the old generation in the times we live in don't have too many people to talk to. It's a very lonely place to be, especially when you are aging. Because people can stay in the same house. Father and mother, husband, wife, children, and everybody is on their cell phone. Nobody's talking to each other, but they are talking to their cell phone. They are on the phone communicating to everybody, but not to one another. And most of the old generation don't know how to work the cell phones. And they don't know how my children know how to work my cell phone than myself. They try to show me things to do and I say, you know something? I don't need to know all that. I just want to be able to pick up my calls and respond. That's all. I don't want to go into all this stuff. I don't need them all. And they say, you can even speak to your phone. And your phone will respond to you. And you can tell your phone, call me so soon and so and your phone will call you. I said, all I need is just the number. Let me just call the number. And they laugh. But it is what it is. It's a new generation. Somebody say, I hear you. And the old generation is dying softly and, and hemorrhaging and bleeding. And the old generation have a lot of issues and, and regrets. Regrets because I was telling them in the first service that, you know, the Bible said that a man went to sow. And when men slept, an enemy came and so tears. And, and the servant said to him, did you not do right by your kids? Didn't you put them in the best of school in town? Didn't you do right? Didn't you train them up? Didn't you give them the necessary principles and value systems and all that? And the master said, I did all that. And the issue is not what I did wrong, but it's possibly what I did right. I did everything right to give them the best of life and to give them what my father and my mother never gave me. I wanted them to have what I didn't have. I tried to keep them from going through the struggles, the pain, the difficulty that I went through so they can be better than I. I did all that. And the servant said, then what happened? Why have they turned out this way? Why are they, and, and I'm talking about biological and spiritual sons and daughters because it doesn't matter what you do as a spiritual father, mother, or a, a physical father and mother. Sometimes you have kids that will act in a way that don't make sense. You question yourself and say, what did I do wrong? You know, I was telling them in the first service about a situation many years ago. I haven't talked about it and I just want to put it in, in a little here. I had a son who was doing so very well in a particular African country and he invited me for his convention and he, he was one of the biggest in this particular country, huge, big. And I knew the president of that country in those days and he has been trying to invite the president but he won't respond to his invitation and so he spoke to me and I said, oh, I'll talk to him to come. So I was with the president having dinner and I said, you know, this young guy here, He's doing very, very good. He's helping your country. I think he's somebody you must connect with. And I prevailed on him. So he came to the meeting. And um, for the first time, he had the president in his meeting. And he started uh, talking about their ministry. And then <clears throat> he introduced the president and everything. And he did recognize everybody on the platform and didn't say anything about me. And I don't know why he did that. But anyway, 
The president brought it up later and said, but did you say he was your son? I said, yes. But he said, but I didn't uh, hear him saying anything about you. It's like he ignored you. And I said, well, you know, I think he was under pressure. But later on, I thought about it. I realized the reason was because he felt like this is his first opportunity to have the president of the country in his platform. And he, 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 he had to maximize the opportunity to let the president know that he's the man, you know. And if he brings me in, I'll take away some of his honor. You know, so he has to ignore me. And it was fine with me. I didn't have a problem with that. Because, you see, I've come to realize over the years that this work we are doing, eh, heaven's definition of success is different from earth's definition of success. And I've also come to realize that, hear me, it's not about numbers. It's not about numbers and it's not about money. It's not about numbers. It's not about money. Because when I, I was taken to heaven, I met Elder Saki in heaven. <clears throat> Elder Saki didn't have a church of his own. And some of you have never heard that name. He was a presiding uh, elder of Church of Pentecost, Kaneshi number one. And, and two, uh, I was also shown a city of, of Dr. T.L. Osborne, my grandfather in the faith. And T.L. Osborne didn't have a church of even 100 people. Uh, if you look at men like Ora Robert, they didn't have a church. Uh, Maurice Rello never had a church. And yet, these were giants. And they raised people who impacted nations and change the course of history. And that is what fathers ought to do. Uh, as a father, my children must be better than me. My biological and spiritual children must be better than me and they must do more than me. And that is the way God has set it up. And I thank God for that. See, I hear you. And that is the way it must be. So I realize that we are dealing with a situation where the enemy, the enemy is so good in setting up the old generation and setting up the young generation. Uh, and if you lack spiritual understanding, uh, you, can, you can be a victim. But I pray that the old generation and the young generation will not be a victim of the devices of the enemy. Put your hands together and say amen. And one of the reasons why I didn't bother me is because I realized that it is not him that willeth, but it is God that showeth mercy. And, and it is not how hard you try and how big or huge or successful you think you are that makes the difference. It is, it is the one whom God honors that makes the difference. And when they said to me, this is the city of T.L. Osborne, I understood that clearly that at the end of the day, having definition is different from man's definition when it comes to success and achievement. And what impresses men, God despises. You know, so some of the things that impresses that God doesn't, it doesn't please God. It doesn't move him at all. And I've come to a place where I'm not too impressed about too many things. And the things that impresses me are very, very simple things. I was saying at the first service that when we get to heaven, uh, we'll be very, very surprised. Uh, like a man of Bishop Nyaku, for instance, uh, his place in heaven. He doesn't have a church. He hasn't built one church. And I've been with him for 46 years. He hasn't been one congregation. But you see something? When I've known him for 46 years, he came to me and he said, God said, I should resign my work and follow you and pray for you. And that's all he's been doing. 46 years. He has never asked me for a church. He has never asked me for buildings. He has never asked for anything. He hasn't asked for salary, pay me, did nothing. He doesn't do all those stuff. He doesn't do all those stuff. He's content with whatever you give him and whatever he has. He doesn't complain. Now, 
Now, you might look at a man like that and say, well, where is his church? Where is his building? What has he done? To him, my assignment was to follow this man and pray for him. That's it. Now, D.L. Moody was one of the biggest evangelists of all times in Chicago in the 18th century. Tap somebody and say, stay awake. Tap somebody. Tap somebody and say, stay awake. Yeah, so I'm seeing you. You that is snoring. Dozing away. I can see you. And, and D.L. Moody went to heaven and the angel took him and showed him his mansion. It was a beautiful mansion. And then opposite his mansion was another mansion, beautiful, better, and bigger than his. And Brother Moody said to the angel, whose house is this? Whose mansion is this? And the angel said, the woman in the wheelchair in your church. Not the deacon. Not the bishop. Not the archbishop. Not the pastor. Not the prophet. Not the elder. Not the businessman and woman. But who? The woman in the wheelchair. Then Brother Moody said, no. That is not fair. That's not right. I'm the man. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I'm the man. I'm the one that preaches. I'm the one that casts out devils. Even though the devils don't obey your name, but it's the name of Jesus and you think it's you. And I'm the one that performed the miracle, even though you don't perform anything. Because it's the name of Jesus that performed the miracle. So stop taking credit for miracles and for signs and wonders. It's not you or me. It's the name of Jesus. The Bible said that the demons are subject in what? His name. Now the Bible said, at the mention of the name of Jesus, every knee of things that are in heaven on earth shall bow. And things in heaven on earth, every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Somebody say, I hear you. So when Brother Moody came back, she saw the lady. And the angel said, her prayers, her faithfulness in praying for you, and fasting for you at all times in season and out of season is the reason why you go out there and you stand and you minister and you impact nations, cities and communities like you do is because of the faithfulness of that woman's prayer so don't question having decision we know better and we see things differently from how man sees things and Brother Moody learned a lesson. And I learned a great lesson out of that. I learned a great lesson out of that. That at the end of the day, it's not your achievements that makes you anything before God. But it is how God values things. And it also has to do with motives. You know, I was taken to a dormitory when I went into heaven. Interesting things I saw that I'm still trying to make sense of. And I met... Guys, preachers, big, short names. I, I didn't know them. Didn't know their names. But the angel said, some of these people you see here, they were big, they were huge, they wrote books, they did great things when they were on earth. But they are not in mansions. They are here. They made it. <clears throat> and the reason why they didn't have the mansions and things they were expecting was because of their motives and the reason for which they achieved the things they achieved. There are so many people, they want relevance. And they don't care who they undermine, who they destroy for relevance. They don't care what they divide. They don't care who they discredit, who they dishonor. 
just to have recognition, just to have relevance. They don't care what they do. As long as they get acceptance and relevance, they are willing to climb on anybody's shoulder and get what they want to get to. It is a problem. And heaven will not reward you based on the things you achieve. They will deal with you based on your motives. That's why the Bible says, let no man judge anyone until the coming of the Lord. For when he comes, every man's work will come to light. Then shall every man have praises of the Lord. Amen. And, and it's going to be interesting when Jesus comes. I'm looking forward to it. And I'm working on my salvation night and day not to miss that flight and that moment. And I believe that you will be on that flight also. If you believe you'll be on that flight, put your hand together and say, I'll be on that flight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hallelujah. See, I'll be on that flight. See, I won't miss that flight. It's only one flight to heaven. Hallelujah. So please work on your salvation night and day. Keep working on it. Keep working on it. Amen. Keep working on it. Hallelujah. See, I hear you. She spoke to herself. And there are things as I've come of age, I have to learn to keep to myself. And I can't talk to anybody about it. There are things I can't even talk to my wife about it because I have to process it like Mary. The Bible says, and Mary pondered over these things in her heart. The problem with some of us is that we tell everybody our business. We talk to everybody about our experience. You, you have to be very careful here. You have to ponder over them in your heart. And you have to, you, you take time to try and understand and make sense of it by the spirit of illumination and revelation and the wisdom of God before you go talking about it. And this woman knew that she had no one to talk to. The 12 years old could talk to her dad and her mom, but the old generation had nobody to talk to. And these days, we take the old, our elders, and the old to the home of the elderly, and we dump them there. You know, many years ago, a true story of a young man and the dad and the grandfather. They came home, and the dad said to his father, pack all your things, I'm taking you somewhere. And the granddad was very close to the grandson. So... The grandson said to the dad, Dad, why are you taking grandpa to? And he said, you will see when we get there. So the father packed his things. He put him in the car, sent him far away from town to the home of the elderly. So they got in there and he put him there and said, this is where you are going to stay. You are too much of a problem for me. I can't handle you. You stay here. And so he dropped the old man there. On their way home, the son was quiet. Very, very quiet. And the father said to the son, why are you so quiet? You ain't saying nothing. <clears throat> he said, I'm thinking. I'm thinking. And he said, what are you thinking about? He said, I'm thinking about you. He said, what is it that you're thinking about me? He said, I'm thinking. And I now know what to do to you when you are old. When you are old, I know where to go and dump you. And leave you there. The father turned the car. And went back and picked the father. <clears throat> He didn't want it to be done to him, but he would do it to somebody. And for whatever reason, that is our attitude. Somebody was talking to me when I was in America the other day. He said, why is it that in Africa there's a lot of corruption? And I said, my friend, there's corruption even in America. But in America, you people, you still legally, you are very good thieves. 
Because the demons in Africa, when you go to do a crusade in Africa here in the village, the, 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 the juju man will send a message to you that I've come, I'm here. Tell, tell the preacher, I'm a juju man, I'm at the back here, I'm watching you. And he's just sending you a message, if you're anointed, prove it. So the demons in Africa, it's very easy. You don't need word of knowledge and word of wisdom and descending of spirits to locate them. You see them, no, you can tell. The American demons, they polish the thing. They wear makeups, makeup demons, pretty demons and beautiful demons. You, you need fire, you need fire and laser discernment to pick them up. Anyway, put your hands together, it's by the way, anyway. Amen. She had to talk to herself. And the Bible said, and it came to a time in the life of David when David was so stressed out and everybody around him, everybody around targeted him and threatened to kill him. And the Bible said, and David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. The old generation must learn how to deal with loneliness. We got to learn how to address our fears and, and, and our worries and being left alone and the regrets. And the pain, you know, Bishop Boda was telling me about a preacher friend of mine. He used to preach for us many years ago. And he said, one of the problems with this generation and the old generation is the fact that they don't understand the implication of the pain of the old generation. And he said something that the old generation don't have to curse you. All they have to do is to say, hmm, 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 hmm. That is dangerous. That is what we call inward curses. I think it's in Psalm 64 verse 2. Check Psalm 64 2 or 62 4. Inward curses. Say inward curses. They haven't said anything but they've said something. Hallelujah. Because Saul to cast him down from his excellence. Uh -huh. They delight and lies. Uh -huh. They bless with their mouth, uh -huh. but they curse inwardly. What is the inward? <laughs> Somebody say, <laughs> It's not good for this generation where the old generation, fathers and mothers and grandchildren, curse you. And please don't curse them. I've always told my sons in ministry, I said, I don't curse my kids. Because they are, the spirit of premature death is already seeking to kill the next generation. And so don't kill them. Don't curse them. Speak life to them. And they can be difficult. Very, very difficult. Because this generation is a selfish generation. Love of self. Love of money. Love of pleasure than lovers of God. But still don't curse them. Don't kill them. Don't do, hmm, just pray in the Holy Ghost. Pray in the Spirit and say, Holy Ghost, get them. Someone say, Holy Ghost, get them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a better way. It's a better way than cursing them. See, I hear you. So she had to speak to herself. She spoke to herself. You got to learn how to speak to yourself. Like in Psalm 3, David said, Lord, why have they increased? That troubles me. Why are they doing so well? That divides my head. That wants me to fail. Why are they succeeding? That undermines me. That disfavors me. Dishonors me. And they said to this extent. That David. We are not just against you. But there is no hope for you even in God. So forget it. You are finished. 
you are dead. You're never coming back again. You never succeed. They wrote him off and said, you never bounce back. You never do well like before. You can never overtake us. We are a million miles ahead of you. But who is he that saith a thing and he cometh to pass when the Lord God Almighty commanded it not? Say, I hear you. Then David said, it's enough. You've spoken. It's my turn. And David said, for thou, O Lord, art a shield about me. My glory and the lifter up of my head. Put your hands together and say, yes. Put your hands together and say, oh, my enemy, oh, my enemy. Make no mistake. Make no mistake. My ladder will be greater than my past. Say, make no mistake. I will come back. And my comeback will be greater than my setback. If you believe it, put your hands together. Shout yes. The old generation is ostracized. But the thing that the old generation and the young generation must understand is that the same enemy that is seeking to kill the old generation is the same enemy seeking to kill the young generation. So we are in together. Nobody wins. The young generation is not winning. The old generation is not winning because the adversary is out to kill the young generation prematurely and is out to kill also the old generation. So nobody is winning in this battle. Nobody is winning. And we can't point finger or blame anybody because we are in this fight together. It's the same enemy going after the old generation going after the new generation. Somebody say, I hear you. But let's look at some few principles quickly. When Jesus heard, after hearing this woman, after she engaged, uh, the old generation has to be very careful because if we are not careful, we will take too much of time, too much of attention that we can delay the miracle, the healing, and the deliverance of the old generation. If you are not careful, you complain and you, you, you start murmuring and you live in regret and you won't age well. So we, we need to heal. We need to learn how to heal ourselves. And, and it's mastering. It's about mastering. Uh, because as, as I grow and mature, I realize that there are so many things you will see and you will hear that you can't repeat it. You can't talk about it. You just have to develop mastering. Somebody say mastering. And when Jesus heard that the child was dead, so they brought a message and said, don't worry to come. The child is dead. This thing is over. The economy of Ghana is dead. It's finished. The experts have seen it. They predicted it. There's no way for us. But remember, every four years, for the, five, for the past 65 years, we've always come here. Every four years, we've been here. Maybe we've been here this time around more than that. But we've been here over and over again for 65 years. It means that there's an error somewhere. We haven't been able to demystify the mystery why the economy is not moving. And why we don't have our own oil refinery. And we're spending billions taking the oil out of here to go and refine it somewhere else. Until something shifts. Until something changes. And when they said to me, why is it that you have too many, uh, you have too much corruption in Africa? And I told them there's some in America too and in the West. But what I said to them was this. I said, you know, the problem is not just about corruption. It's about so many factors. We have, to, we have to look at the people that we vote for to go into 
politics. We have to look at them very carefully. And I believe a time must come when we must have people who have done something, accomplished something for their community, for country, before we send them out there so they don't just go and learn on the job. We have to find people who have done something. Uh, but apart from that, we, we need people who love country. Uh, and people who love country don't just get up and love country. We train them when they, work, when they are young. Charity begins at home. We must begin to train our children to love country, to be proud of their country. So when they grow, because you see, you, you don't exploit what you love. You don't take advantage of what you love. Uh, and you don't fight and destroy what you love. You protect what you love. Are you hearing me? Uh, and so we have a work to do. We, it's not just enough to say corruption stop. No, 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 no. It's not going to stop. We need to train the next generation to love country, to believe in country, and to protect country, and to be proud of country. That is what we need that will change the status quo. That is what will change the course of history in Africa and the nations of Africa. Say, I hear you. If you believe it, put your hands together. Amen. So, Jesus made some observations and taught us some principles here. The first thing is he heard, he said, when he heard that the child was dead was, fear not. Somebody say, fear not. Tell somebody, fear not. Don't be afraid. Tell somebody, don't, don't be afraid. You know, if you really understand what this country and other nations are going through, you'll be afraid. Fear will grip your heart. And the Bible said, for the love of many shall wax cold. And fear, and, and fear, and fear. The heart of many shall fail them because of what? Fear of the things that shall come upon the earth. The Bible said, do what? Jesus said, fear not. Say, fear not. And the second thing he said was this. He said, only believe. Turn to someone and say, only believe. Only believe. Only believe. Only believe means keep your faith alive. Tell somebody, keep faith alive. Keep faith alive. Keep your faith alive because without faith you can't please God. Say, I hear you. Without faith you can't please God. And the just shall live by faith. And anything done without faith is sin. So keep what alive? Faith. Then the next thing he did, number three. Number three, the Bible said he took James, he took John and Peter with him. And send everybody away. He just took three people. Say, connect with like-minded people. Tell somebody, connect. Connect. Connectivity. Connect with like-minded people. Why? Because the Bible says, make no friendship with an angry man. Lest you learn of his ways and become like him. And the Bible says, he that walks with wise men shall be wise himself. But the company of fools shall be destroyed. So, connect with like-minded people. Then when he got to the place, when he got to the house... He told them, he said, he said, for the child is not dead. The child is not dead. She's asleep. And they began to laugh at him, scorn him, and literally mocked him. Tell somebody, disconnect from your mockers. Disconnect from your mockers. Yeah, yeah, disconnect from your mockers. There are mockers. And you know, any, any time over the years when I've talked about praying for the Ghana city that it will stand strong and that God will fix the economy, people just, they mock at me. They call me names. I was in some of the newspapers in America. People, friends were calling me, what's going on? And all that. And they were showing me holding the city and praying and all that. It's, it's what I believe. You believe it won't work. I believe it can work. It's a matter of faith. I'm not mocking after your faith. So why are you having problems with me? 
I don't have a problem with you believing that the economy is finished and is dead. So why do you have a problem with me? Jesus spoke to the sea. Was he sick? He spoke to the wind. Was he sick? He spoke to the fig tree. Was he sick? Joshua spoke to the sun and the moon. So how come I can't talk to my currency? How come I cannot speak to my economy? Come on, somebody. Uh, can you talk to me? Somebody talk to me. Tell me something. Uh, am I wrong to pray for the economy? And somebody said, why do you have to pray for the economy? The thing is finished. It's dead. It's been messed up and everything. Fine. Those who mess anything up, God will hold them responsible. And time will hold them responsible. So, vindication is in the womb of time. There are some battles you leave it for time. It's not every battle you fight immediately. A time will come when battles will be fought. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. You see what happened in Celerion, but for God. You saw the situation in Celerion, but for God. You know, and there was this Asian country also, uh, Sri Lanka. You saw what happened in Sri Lanka. And I was telling somebody, I said, you know, after 2024 election, depending on what happened after 2024, I'm put, write this thing down. Sometimes I don't have to say I'm a prophet. Write it down. There will come a time after 2024, if things don't change, there will come an uprising in this country. And it will not be police or the military. It will be civil disobedience. Because people are just going to be tired of political parties. I'm just telling you, write it down. They're just going to be fed up and tired and say, no more. And take things into their hands. And that is where people who think power is everything, they will understand that there come a day when they think the Ghanaian is quiet, the Ghanaian is a peaceful, the Ghanaian is not violent. There is coming a day when these peaceful Ghanaians, you see, will become something else. But not now. It's coming. It's in the womb of time. And that day will come. And on that day, on that day, people will make reference and say, Papa, Papa, you remember what you said? Write it down. Don't play with what I'm telling you. It's going to come. And it's not going to be a coup d'etat. It will be civilians. And, and the police and the army and their children and their wife will all be part because they are buying the petrol at the same price. They are buying tomatoes and onions and pepper and rice and everything at the same price. They are paying the same as CTP. It's affecting everybody. So everybody is going to be part. That day, whether you are soldier, whether you are police, whether you are doctor, whether you are lawyer, everybody's pocket is suffering. Then everybody will be part of it. Even politicians will be part of it. Write it down. You are looking at me. You look at me with that Ghanaian look. So Jesus put away all the mockers. Say, say disconnect from the mockers. Yeah, there are mockers. That was Joseph's problem. He told his dream to the wrong people. He thought he was talking to his siblings. But he was talking to enemies. And they mocked him and said, Behold, the dreamer coming. The dreamer coming. Let's catch him. Let's kill him. Bury him and see what shall become of his dream. Let all those who mock us and let all those who laugh at us and let all those who have written us out, let them be disadvantaged. Yea, and let them be set back. Let them be put to shame and become as chaff before the wind. Yea, let their honors be turned into dishonor. Let their favors be turned into disfavor. Let their potential in the name of Jesus fail them. And let their defenses be 
depart from them in the name of Jesus. Yea, let their power base be destroyed. Let the source of their confidence be taken away from them. In the name of Jesus, say yes. Put your hands together and scream. If your confidence is derived from anything physical, you are to be pitied among all men. Yeah. You are to be pitied. Because during the time of the corona, I saw great people who had confidence in money. A guy had over 20 billion dollars and rose out in the morning and realized he had lost about 11 billion dollars and took his life. And when I heard it, I said, mercy. Somebody say mercy. Yeah, from 20 to 11, left with how much? Nine million. Billion. And he takes his life. Somebody say mercy. Why? Because his confidence was in money. Material things. The Bible says, some trust in chariots. And some in horses. But we shall remember the name of the Lord our God. Put your hands together say yes. Let me give you one more point. I'll continue next week. And the Bible said that when they told him the child is dead, Ghana economy is hemorrhaging. And pretty soon you might hear and say the economy has collapsed. Yeah. Yeah, that's that is the word out there. Our economy is collapsed. I've been having calls all over. What's going on in your country? And I said, the same thing going on in your country is going on in mine. What do you want me to say? Silence cannot be quoted. You want me to kill the economy? The thing is already dying. And you want me to bury it? Yeah. When Jesus came and said, the child is asleep, the mocker said, Jesus, stop all this, your faith confession. No. The thing is over. The child is dead. The doctors have out. They've come. They examined. The child is dead. Just leave the sin and let them bury the child. And let's mourn more and grieve. What is all this, your faith confession? If you are not careful, you will curse the economy. The thing is already cursed. It's been suffering for 65 years. Every four years we go to IMF. Hello? Yeah. I mean the same thing. I feel what you feel. Yeah. We're still paying electricity bills. The tithe is the same 10%. Some don't even tithe. The offering is yo 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 yo. yo. Yeah. Financial director is sitting there. She said, We haven't budgeted for this. We can't pay for it. We haven't budgeted. And I said, Go ahead, do your budget. Me, I believe God. Amen. Yeah. I, I, I don't do budget. I believe God. Say, I believe God. So Jesus put the mockers out. And the next thing he did was he spoke life to death. We know you are blessed by that word of God. And look forward to you joining the messages of the Archbishop Nicholas Duncan Williams again. For more information on our events, books, and messages, please visit NDW Ministries online at www.ndwministries.org or call our offices on plus one eight seven seven 
3615111. Once again, thank you for joining the Archbishop today. And may you continue to experience the life-transforming power of God's blessings.